millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, January 31st. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, legislation is signed paving the way for Amazon to invest $10 billion in Mississippi. Then community health centers play a large role in ensuring folks get access to health care. But resources are necessary and the demand is rising. Plus, a new book challenges Mississippians to see the diverse ecosystems in their own backyards. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves has signed the necessary legislation setting in motion a $10 billion economic development project, the largest in state history. Amazon Web Services will operate on two sites in Madison County, one in Canton and the other at an industrial complex there. Both locations will have two facilities operating as data centers processing billions of requests each day. In total, Amazon controls roughly 40 percent of all Internet traffic each day through their global chain of data centers. Governor Tate Reeves says the landmark capital investment being made will mean significant gains for all of Mississippi. But it's particularly a huge win for the entire Metro Jackson area. It brings high-paying, high-tech jobs to our community. It's the type of investment that helps attract other companies to our state as well. We'll be seeing the positive impact of these jobs and this project for years and years to come. And I'm glad we're here to finalize our piece of this today. The legislation that pushed this project forward was passed last week during a special session of the legislature. It was the second special session called this year by Governor Reese to jumpstart major economic development projects. Roger Weiner is the Director of Economic Development for Amazon Web Services. He says lawmakers have helped pave the way for this project. It has been the paramount of Southern hospitality, uh, what we expected and, and, and delivered in, 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 I mean, just more than you can imagine. So we couldn't be happier in that regard. Um, but it is it has been a great team effort everywhere from the political leadership at the state and local level, the economic development community, as well as the energy team. Uh, we, we couldn't have had a better outcome. Um, for myself personally, uh, as you can probably tell by my accent, there is a bit of personal satisfaction in this. Uh, so I'm super happy about this outcome. Uh, but what I did want to share with everybody today is a very important message, and that is 
you know, this was an opportunity we conceptualized roughly five years ago. Um, and we brought it to Mississippi and we brought it to the team here and we put an opportunity in front of them. And candidly, they did everything you could ever ask. They were responsive. They moved fast. They cleared blockers. They did everything we as a company could ever ask in a partnership. And what we've built together is a, a win-win partnership where we can be a part of the community here and we can work together to build a very unique experience, we hope, um, for our employees and for the communities in which we operate and for our customers. And so uh, we're just super excited about that opportunity. We look forward to growing together. We're already in flight. Um, we're building as we speak. While the project is already underway, as you just heard, many projects must also be done to build up infrastructure. The legislation signed allows for funds to help Madison County build up roads and provide other needs, while Energy Mississippi is investing between 2 and $3 billion for improvements to the power grid. Bill Cook is executive director of Mississippi Development Authority. He tells our Will Stribling what this project could mean for the state's business sector. Well, usually what winds up happening in a big project like this is the company seeks us out or it's because of relationships we have in the industry. Uh, five years ago, this company came to Mississippi in search of power, water, and fiber. And uh, over the last five years, that market really came together uh, in a number of areas, but in, most specifically and urgently in Madison County. And so the timing was excellent, and we executed on the, on the promise, and here we are today. Yeah, and how how many of those project sites like like this one that the state has put money into are, are ready for projects like this? You know, we uh, we keep a list of about thirty mega sites. Uh, we call them kind of our top thirty sites in the states. They're not all as big as the ones in Madison County, which are about a thousand acres. We have some that are as small as twenty acres, but that are prime for development. What we call shovel ready sites. Those are sites that. The real estate is acquired usually by a public entity, utility served, have access to great transportation and other infrastructure. And we market those on our website at mississippi.org. And, uh, and we, we put those out to the world and, uh, and try to lure companies to come and take advantage of all Mississippi has to offer. Yeah, and the investments being made here in those, uh, you know, in, in power, water, and sewer, how uh, more attractive is, is that going to make the state look to companies looking to invest in the future? Well, it doesn't matter whether you're an existing business or a new business looking at Mississippi. There's really three factors that drive site selection for these big projects, and that's speed, risk, and money. You know, companies want to, to go to a place where they can begin to spend, from, go from spending money to making money the fastest that have the lowest risks uh, and also to generate the highest return on their capital investment. So, you know, we constantly drive that value proposition and everything we try to do. And I think you heard the governor say today that, uh, uh, you know, speed is really the, the number one issue. Bill Cook is executive director of the Mississippi Development Authority. The facilities for Amazon Web Services are expected to be operational within three years, 2027. Coming up, health centers, community health centers, play a large role in ensuring Mississippians get access to health care, but demand for services greatly outpaces resources. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From children's education to gripping drama, documentaries to comedy, MPB Television brings the world to Mississippi. With local stories, cooking, health, and music, MPB Television takes Mississippi to the world. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The 20 community health centers across the state play a major role in filling gaps in health care in Mississippi, and demand for their services is growing. It's estimated one in 11 Americans depend on community health centers for their medical care. Most of those patients are uninsured and live below the federal poverty line. In Mississippi, staffing shortages are making it more difficult to provide those services. Our Mike McEwen speaks with Lee Smith, Director of Communications at Family Health Center in Laurel. He says staffing shortages, a lack of payment for services, and rising demand are making their work more difficult. Of course, Mississippi is known to have uh, some of the worst health outcomes, and so we're in an area where the services are needed the most, and yet we oftentimes don't have all of the resources we need to really move the needle on these outcomes. You know, we're, pre- we're proud of our results. We pretty consistently, in fact, if you visit our website, you'll see that uh, we were recently awarded uh, nine community uh, quality health badges uh, by uh, HRSA, which is our funder at the federal government. Um, so we do quality care and we do make a dent in it, but man, it's, it's hard. At, at the risk of overgeneralizing, what would you say are the most frequent services that you all provide in Southeast Mississippi in terms of health care? We aim to be, uh, in many ways, kind of a one-stop shop. So, of course, we have adult and internal primary medicine. Uh, we have a pediatrics division. Uh, we have an OBGYN division. We also have uh, a dental division, as well as an in-house pharmacy. And we also uh, have a WIC division for women, infants, and children. And so it's a full uh, spectrum of care that we offer. You know, if you're able to uh, get to us, again, regardless of whether you have insurance or uh, or money, you know, uh, we can take care of the whole family of Family Health Center. Something else that you were mentioning earlier is the staffing shortages. Could you just elaborate more on that? What does that look like for you all, and what are some of the causes of that? Well, um Probably the the biggest thing is that there are not as many uh, providers. You know, I was having a conversation with our chief medical officer the other day that was indicating an unexpected culprit in the reduction of providers, and that is that there are fewer residency programs than there have been in the past. In other words, if you have uh, a lot of people who want to be providers and you have a lot of need, but there isn't a, a wide, there's a bottleneck in that area where the providers get the needed experience in order to go ahead and, and get their careers going, uh, then it automatically begins to create kind of a shortage relative to the MDs, the DOs, and the nurse practitioners that really make a community health center go. And so we, we just recently uh, have been able to attract um, uh, another OBGYN doc to our uh, OBGYN unit. Um, that's a search that we had going on. Uh, I'd only been with the company for about two years now. We had that search going on when I got here, but we finally were able to do that. And that's important in a state that has uh, the maternal morbidity and mortality rates that we have. And so um, the need is, is there. Um, you know, it's just uh, I mean, and some of it for us, honestly, is, you know, there are, quote unquote, sexier lifestyles than, you know, working in a small rural clinic 
have more of what you may think of if, if you're starting, if you're just getting out of medical school, <laughs> you can have more of what you think of as the MD lifestyle. That's the challenge that we face in our rural setting as well. Yeah, I was about to ask you if, if the nature of being a rural health center, if that exacerbates any issues with recruitment as well as maybe even funding? Uh, with uh, recruitment, uh, it does a bit like I just mentioned to you. Funding, again, uh, a large chunk of our funding we get, you know, through HRSA and through, of course, Medicaid and uh, Medicare, which we do accept. But relative to some of what some of the larger FQACs in metropolitan areas who may have bigger donors, uh, more corporate support, yeah, we would love to have that, uh, but we don't. Something that came up a lot in this year's past gubernatorial election in Mississippi, one was expanding Medicaid, but when the conversation moved beyond that, it also went to the accessibility of healthcare. You know, people have transportation issues. If you live in a rural setting, that might be even worse. Are you all aware of any any residents that you serve, you know, who want healthcare, who are just not able to get there, who just face challenges in, in actually being there in person? I'd like to thank you for that reminder that I left off uh, a critically important department at Family Health Center, which is our social services division. Um, we do have social workers that work right there in the clinic. And, uh, yeah, they deal with what we call uh, the social determinants of health. Um, you know, they're, like I always say, it's one thing to find out you have high blood pressure. Uh, it's another thing to be able to get to the clinic to find out that you have high blood pressure. And uh, when you're dealing in a setting like we are, uh, very uh, spread out, uh, people do have transportation issues. Even if they're in the same geographic area, you know, even if they're in the city limits, sometimes getting from this side of town to that side of town is uh, can be a challenge. Um, and then, of course, you run into, you know, a lot of the other social issues that, uh, that impact health, you know, um, you know, if there's, let's just say, for instance, there's a woman who uh, is pregnant and she's in an abusive situation. Well, uh, that's a situation that would be handled not just by our OBGYN department, but our social services uh, arm would get involved, too, uh, to try to help make sure that she's safe and uh, able to uh, safely deliver the baby for both her own health and uh, for the child. So, uh, yeah, we run into these uh, social uh, issues all the time, and uh, it really is uh, a, 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 an important tool in how we deliver care because, uh, like you said, there, there are just so many factors that uh, determine someone's health that don't have anything to do with actually seeing a doctor. It's, uh, it's something that I did not appreciate until I really began to work in this field. Lee Smith is Director of Communications at Family Health Center in Laurel. Coming up, a new book challenges Mississippians to see the diverse ecosystems in their own backyard. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From children's education to gripping drama, documentaries to comedy, MPB Television brings the world to Mississippi. With local stories, cooking, health, and music, MPB Television takes Mississippi to the world. 
MPB Think Radio airs local programs every weekday morning at 9. It's your chance to learn about Southern cooking, home improvement projects, and more. MPB Think Radio, Mississippi is our mission. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Supporting Mississippi Public Broadcasting can take many forms. Would you like to sponsor your favorite program or leave a legacy in your will? You could purchase our specialty car tag or donate a vehicle. Contribute appreciated stocks or buy a pair of socks from our web store. Do you make an automatic monthly sustaining donation? Connect with the MPB Foundation. Call us up or go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi is home to hundreds of different species of animals, birds, reptiles, and insects. Many of these critters can be found in your own backyard. That's what wildlife photographer Wesley Shoup set out to prove when writing his book, Mississippi's Natural Heritage. He's speaking at this week's History is Lunch at the two Mississippi museums in Jackson today at noon. Shoup tells our Kobe Vance the photos in the book were taken at LaFleur's Bluff State Park, an area near the heart of Jackson that's filled with diverse wildlife despite being in such a populated area. It records uh, about 400 species, uh, mainly around LaFleur's, actually entirely around LaFleur's Bluff uh, State Park, about 400 photographs. Um, and I have acquired photographs from all over the state of, of like I said, uh, around 1,500 animals. But I decided on the book to basically do them all that were taken in Lafleur's Bluff. Uh, I did that to really emphasize a couple of points, one of which is you can go anywhere uh, in the state uh, I happen to have chosen Lafleur's Bluff State Park, but you could go anywhere and, and do the same thing. And just as a for instance, I, I make it a point always to tell people that in my own yard, which is a typical yard of any subdivision, I have identified just in my yard 750 species, actually more than 750 species. So I could have written a book uh, just on my backyard, but nobody would be interested in it. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I chose to illustrate what was found at Lafleur's uh, to, to uh, show that point. You didn't have to book a trip to the Amazon. Uh, you didn't have to fly to Borneo. You could actually go anywhere in the state um, and enjoy organisms, many of them quite unique. And, in fact, people from Brazil and from Borneo fly here to see our organisms. And so it's a matter of not necessarily uh, looking for new things elsewhere, but, but opening your eyes and seeing exactly what we have here in this state, in your backyard, or in this particular case, Lafleur's Bluff State Park. Why is it important for you to celebrate biodiversity through taking photographs? Uh, I, a number of things. I, I think we do not appreciate to the extent that we should, life that we have in essentially inherited. We, we tend to think of, of our spaces either for home or for uh, the ability to develop them to make money. And we rarely ever think about the organisms that, that come with them and the responsibility that we have 
LaFleur's Bluff is a classic case where it's actually found uh, in our largest urban environment in the state, uh, our state capital, Jackson. It happens to, to be set aside mainly because it, it is a flood zone. The flood zone actually protects uh, the state park because uh, devel- development can't really get hold of it. And it's those type of refugia that we have to, if we think about it, protect throughout our state so that organisms have a chance to, to survive. And, and that's part of why I wrote the book, is, is basically to reintroduce us to, to organisms. I make the point 150 years ago, 95% of people lived in rural areas, and only 5% lived in cities. And in that 150 years, that series of proportions has completely reversed and we have become estranged from nature. And I made a point not to try to find the most exotic and the most bizarre uh, to wow people, uh, but I chose organisms, even though they were from Lafleur's, they are found throughout the state. Uh, Every one of them is found from uh, Meridian in, in the east to Vicksburg in the west and from Corinth in the north to Biloxi in the south. Um, and I wanted them to be ones that you could find in your yard, that you could find in your parks, um, and that, you know, that you could have a reasonably good chance of encountering and giving a little bit of information about them to uh, uh, let you know something about what occurs all around you, but you may be not quite aware of. It seems really interesting that your book is able to approach wildlife as two different ways. It says, you know, here is such extreme biodiversity in a small area that is otherwise surrounded by a metropolitan area, but also at the same time it says this is just a small part of what Mississippi has to offer. What are your thoughts on, you know, engaging readers and challenging them in a way to go out in their yards and look at look for wildlife and see what's around them? Well, the, the book does uh, give you at least a start. Um, it, it, a lot of people uh, become paralyzed on, on any number of uh, subjects uh, because they don't know how to start them. And oftentimes, simple start, someone who gives you some encouragement, shows you a way to break into it, is what you need. Uh, I, for instance, have been a biologist all my life, uh, and and I can I can look back to three or four individuals that were able at specific times to give you an attaboy, a pat on the back, uh, or an encouragement to go into a, a given area uh, that, that have been incredibly influential in my life. And perhaps this book could be an encouragement, uh, a a way to uh, start and understand what goes on in Mother Nature. If you just use the book alone and identify those species that are in the book by itself, you would already find that you are in the 99th percentile of people that have identified organisms in this state. So the book not only gives you a start, it will carry you an incredible way into learning some of the organisms. There are invertebrates in there, those organisms that do not have a backbone, insects, worms, etc. But there's also amphibians, reptiles, birds, 
mammals, plants, and fungi, and even fossils. And so it, it will not only get you a start, it will get you well down the road and introduce you to virtually every type of living organism that could be found in the state. Wesley Shoup is presenting Mississippi's Natural Heritage. That's the, name, that's the title of his book that came out just a few months ago. He's presenting his book today at History is Lunch at the two Mississippi museums in Jackson today at noon. Wesley, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome, Kobe. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.